This is Bo Buchanan, and I am here with another edition of On the Level. And tonight I'm speaking to Johnny Royal. Johnny, why don't we start out by giving me your name, name your home blue lodge, and any offices or titles you have connected to that lodge. Sure. Uh, it's Johnny Royal from uh, Santa Monica Palisades Lodge number 307. And uh, I'm also in the Los Angeles Valley Scottish Ray. I'm the incoming commander of Kadosh. And just as a side note, Johnny is here tonight in Phoenix, Arizona. He did a screening of his new movie. Say the title. 33 and Beyond, The Royal Art of Freemasonry. The Royal Art of Freemasonry. And I am driving Johnny home afterwards, so you might hear some directions here as we're driving around. <laughs> um, but, Johnny, where are we going? To the highway? Um, I have no idea. I'm going towards Scottsdale. Okay. Um, so, Johnny, the first thing I usually ask people is, tell me, how, when did you first hear of this thing called Freemasonry? Uh, when I first found about found out about Freemasonry, I was uh, living in London. Uh, it was 1997. I was studying at uh, Westminster University, and um, I had a class called Tort Law, which was a really awful class for someone that's not studying law. Um, I was studying music and finance. I was a double major. And uh, so me and my friends would skip the class, and one day we... Uh, we skipped the class, and my buddies kind of got lost. I got lost, and um, I ended up in front of the uh, Grand Lodge of England, and I saw this grand compass. And there was something about that uh, set of symbols that really set uh, kind of uh, a light off in my mind. And I started doing a lot of research about it, and I found out, you know, it was for this group called the Freemasons, and... Uh, it really intrigued me, especially like the people that were a part of it. Um, Benjamin Franklin, Voltaire, Mozart, um, the philosophies that were included with it uh, were really, it kind of spoke volumes um, of what I had felt inside since I was a little boy that I had no idea of how to put in the words. So you, you had never heard of it before then, before you just happened to find this building? I had never heard of it before then. And how old did you say you were? Well, it was 1997, so um, I got to count. And, uh, <laughs> so that's not good. Uh, so I was born in, uh, I was born June 12, 1976, so I was 21. 21 years, so pretty young in uh, Masonic terms. So yeah. how long from that time that you first heard about it, how long was it before you actually became a Freemason? Okay, so I, I discovered that building um, in the 90s, and then I was actually initiated uh, and entered Apprentice Mason um, in 2008. So quite so a while. quite a long time. Yeah, and part of the reason was is that when I came back from England, I was living in Pennsylvania, and I was going to join there, but then I moved to California. And there was a residency rule that um, I had to undergo. So um, I was initiated uh, in California in 2008. So let me back up. So you found the building. Yeah. Um, how long did, did you immediately start like this long search and learning more about it? Or was there a gap where you kind of forgot about it and then, and then went back to it? Or no, what? there was never a gap. I mean, it was something that um, it was it kind of... It's like this uh, 
magnet that and never let go of me. I had to understand all that I could about it before I became a Freemason. So, you know, I read Mackie and Albert Pike, and um, I read Duncan's Ritual, which I didn't understand at the time. I'm like, what are these guys doing? Like, <laughs> like what are these figures? I'm like, this makes no sense to me. And uh, then I became a Freemason, and, um, and it's still, after I got initiated, it made no sense to me. As it does to most people, but um, you know, I was so dedicated to the to the craft that um, I really spent time learning about it and understanding like what this whole thing was about. And looking up the history and the research of where the craft came from, and and there was this like uh, this uh, ambiguation of you know where it really started from like did it start from Thomas Webb was it written by Thomas Webb did it come from the Knights of Templar like all these different like kind of theories and ideas and myths and um, but to me um, you know jumping forward uh, none of that really mattered to me because um, there was there's someone in my lodge that had said to me that it doesn't matter whether or not the stories are true or not. It matters what you take out of the ritual and the story. Right. Good teaching. So, did you have any family connection to masonry? I had none. None. Did, and did you? Sometimes people get into it and discover some some kind of connection. Any anything like that ever happened for you? None. Tell me. The other thing I like to ask people is tell me about uh, some men or brothers who have been really influential on your journey? Um, there have been a couple. Um, one of them has been uh, Bill Bray, who uh, Bill is a past grandmaster of uh, Freemasonry in California. He, he was also the uh, personal rep of the Los Angeles uh, Valley Scottish Rite. Um, I can't say enough about Bill. I mean, Bill was and still is like the dad that I wish that I I had. Um, I love Bill so much. Like, Bill taught me so much about the ethics of masonry and the ideals of masonry. Um, Another one is Harry Maslin, who is the officer's coach of Santa Monica Palisades 07. And, uh, you know, Harry's a music guy that, like I was, um, that was my career, you know, coming up. And Harry still is our officer's coach. But, uh, you know, Harry, uh, whether well, he he wants to hear it or not like he's also like a father figure to me but he's he's like a brother to me too like he's like a big brother like Harry's more like the big brother I never had <laughs> um, that is one of the things that I've always found uh, appealing to masonry is that w what it teaches men or gives us the opportunity is to have those kind of male relationships that maybe we haven't had in our lives and 
my my grandfathers both died very young. My parents were divorced pretty young, so I didn't have a lot of male influence around. Sounds like to you as well, that was an important part of your journey. Absolutely. It definitely was. What so let's let's fast forward a little bit here and talk about uh, the reason you're here today. So you've just finished this film. Uh, tell tell us a little bit about the film and how this came about. Yeah. So um, and why you may personally why it's important to you. Sure. So uh, I was uh, initiated in 2008, uh, but in 2010, while I was going through the first three degrees. I wanted to share with the world in some way the emotional impact that Freemasonry had on me because I felt that it was so important that it could maybe, maybe in some way make the world not self-destruct. Maybe that we could present some form of what we do without breaking oaths and obligations in a form of life that people would just walk away with a good feeling from. Maybe they don't, maybe they wouldn't understand it completely, but maybe it would make them want to be better people. Maybe they would understand that like Freemasonry as it were and as it is, is not this conspiratorial secret organization but that it's this body of work that uses secrecy and silence to discipline the people that are in it so that they can become better people to make the world a better place around them so as I was going through the Blue Lodge degrees, it became very prevalent to me that it was almost like a calling. I, I needed to share a part of what I was going through with the world because I felt like there was a vision that came to me that the world was going to go into a very dark place at the time and that if I could somehow finish and share what I had experienced with the world that maybe it would spark some imagination, some inspiration and more importantly that it would give some love hope, charity faith and forgiveness people that might be feeling the opposite of that. One, one of the things, one of the points you make in the movie at some point, and I won't give too much away, but one of the degrees, or one of the things that's talked about is the fact that when someone is doing something that is what they should be doing at a certain point in their life, it's a certain sense of fulfillment of peace, and it sounds like that's, that's kind of what this film was for you, was, like you said, your calling um, you've been working on this for, you said, seven years, right? Correct. And it's just getting released. Uh, it, when, when did you first do your first screening? Um, we did our first screening on Friday, October 13th, and 
2017 at the uh, Grand Lodge of uh, California Freemasons. So barely, barely three months. Uh, this film has been out. Correct. And what's what's the reception? What are you, what are you hearing from people? What are I they mean, telling you? It, it's it's been pretty exceptional. I mean, it's um, I mean everybody is responding to it very well. I mean. Especially within the Brotherhood, you know, there's um, the main thing I was worried about was that you know breaking, you know, did, did I do something wrong or did I not do enough? Um, I've been criticized on certain levels on both ends of those, but people that really matter and that really have the say and those. Um, upper echelon levels of language of Freemasonry are coming forward and holding their ground and saying that, you know, there's no secrets revealed, but there is a beauty and there's a light and there's a love that is transparent in the film. And that the world needs that now, you know. It really does. Absolutely. So one of the reasons I'm asking you about the film is because one of the questions I usually ask people is, what does Freemasonry mean to you? What keeps you coming? And I know the film is that kind of, uh, is you putting that out there. This is this is what Freemasonry is for me. It's pretty powerful the way you describe the different parts and sections of Freemasonry. What Maybe what didn't you get in that film that you still want to say to people? Well, I think that the most important aspect of life is having a balanced ritual in your life. You know, whether it's mythological or historical or factual. You know, and what I'm saying by that is whether you go to church or temple or uh, whether you do your own thing every day by lighting a candle and meditating and submitting yourself to the ideal of a greater power, a higher power that is within and without you. So I think that the most important aspect is ritual. I mean, Joseph Campbell talks about that, and that's discussed in the film too. Now the film, the film called The Royal art of Freemasonry, and part of that is kind of a play on your name. Your name is Johnny Royal, okay, but that's not your real name. That's now, not my real name. Tell me this story. You told me this a little bit earlier, and I want to want you to share it with people. How did yeah. you? How did how did your name become Johnny Royal? Well, let's start first with the the title of the film. So the title of the film is Thirty Three and Beyond: The Royal Art of Freemasonry. So, so Thirty Three and Beyond is that first. Um, Half of the film goes through the first 33 degrees. And then, and beyond, is that it goes into the York Rite, which don't, you know, they're not in numbered degrees. But the Royal Art was 
traditionally referred to as the ultimate gentleman's art of transmutation and transformation, of going within the self, of discovering the light within the self. And uh, I was born as John Michael Herrera. Uh, my parents got divorced. My stepfather, who raised me and was my hockey coach, uh, his name was Dean Johnson, and he adopted me, uh, so my name became John Johnson, and, you know, I had played music all my life, and the reason why I had played music, uh, what inspired me was that my stepdad's father, my grandfather Calvin, Calvin Johnson, they play guitar. Little side story. Um, when I first uh, met my grandfather Calvin, he had this plastic rose on the end of his Fender Stratocaster, and I asked him. I said, "Pap, I'm so told to call Pap." It's like, "Pap, why is why do you have a plastic rose on the end of your guitar?" And he said, "Well, Sonny, he said when I was your age." When I was younger, uh, I'd play live, and I would have a live rose here on the end of the guitar, and I would give it to the prettiest lady in the audience. <laughs> and I was like, wow, I'm like, this guy is awesome, you know. So, um, I'm just going to pull over. We can finish the interview and then figure out where we're going, because I don't know where we're going from here. Yep. <laughs> so, you had the rose. Your grandfather... Yeah, he had the rose. Uh, he was kind of the Rosicrucian of the family. Um, but uh, anyways, fast forwarding. Um, I forgot the question. You were, you were talking about your name. You talked about your father. Oh, yeah, name my, got name, changed. my name. So, yeah, so anyways. Um, yeah, my mom uh, divorced from my dad, John Herrera. And then um, she remarried to Dean Johnson, who uh, adopted me and basically raised me. He became my hockey coach. And then um, in 2005, I, I moved to Hollywood, and I was in a band called The Royal Fever. It's an awesome part of the story. Yeah. <laughs> so all of us had the last name Royal. So there was Johnny Royal, which was me. I started the band. There was Mikey Royal, the singer. There was Chris Royal, the bass player. There was Eric Royal, the drummer. Um, Eric Royal, uh, his sister worked for, um, she worked in production. And uh, I won't go into names. She's a very big time EP in television. But anyways, uh, they got us a gig um, doing the skit with the Chelsea Handler show. So. Uh, we won on the Chelsea Handler show. We won this whole kind of comedy skit thing. We we became the house band. But um, on set, they kept calling me Johnny Royal so much that the girl that wrote the checks for this uh, wrote my check out as Johnny Royal. And it was a good-sized check, and I was, you know, a musician at the time, and uh, it was a significant amount of money. So um, I 
went to go cash the check and the bank went to cash the check. And so I called the uh, attorney uh, for our band and the attorney said, well, you have two choices. He said, well, MTV writes checks out every nine months. So you can wait for nine months for another check for your right name, or you can go to the courthouse downtown and uh, pay 300, 350 bucks and change your name to Johnny Well and cash a check. So that's what I did. <laughs> <laughs> so I love that story. So here I am. Johnny Royal. Johnny Royal. I love AKA it. AKA John Johnson, AKA John Herrera. <laughs> well Johnny so, Royal's got a good ring to it, I think. I think he's yeah. doing good. It's a good stage but, name. You know what? It's also it's it's the threefold. I mean, you know I'm three people. So that that's a good transition to my next question. So tell me what how have you changed Johnny Royal? How have you changed how has Freemasonry changed you? Well, for one, uh, it made me fall in love with literature. I fell in love with the words. I fell in love with concepts and ideas not that i wasn't before because you know i always loved um i loved learning but freemasonry presents it in this ritualistic ceremonial format right so there's all these interpretations and all these experts and everybody has an opinion about what this means but um it made me understand that I actually have the ability to choose how I react to how I feel. Interesting. The great perception. I mean, that was the most important thing, and it still is to me, that regardless of what degree you are, or if you're not a Mason at all, but like you have a choice of Something I like to say a lot, too, we we have choices. We all have choices. Life is about choices. And when you take that power back and say, I have a choice, rather than say, oh, this happened or that happened, it's a choice. It's it's kind of a freedom, in a sense. Absolutely. I mean, everything that we have in our life is because of us. Everything good or bad Mm -hmm. in our life. Wherever we are in our life, it's because of the choices that we make. We are either the hero or the villain <laughs> of our own story. It's true. You know, we're either good or evil. And the funny thing is, is beyond that, is that without the human condition, there is no good or evil, right? To go even deeper. Hmm. So, for instance, if a comet smashes into the earth right now, and kills everything. That's not evil. Right. We're in its way. It's a comet. It's it's the trajectory of the comet. So we are special beings in the sense that we can understand good and evil as we call it. Now Nietzsche might disagree. <laughs> and, I, and I might have to pull his mustache, but <laughs> So is there anything, uh, to, to kind of wrap this up, is there anything that you would like to say to people who are listening, maybe even in 100 years, or people who are curious about Freemasonry or 
or, or to uh, long lost relatives you might find that might find you one day in the future? What, what would you like to close say by by closing? First, I would like to say that I love all of you. That the concept of forgiveness, of loving your enemy, that the force that you feel that is against you, whether it's human or divine or subdivine, loving that will make you more powerful than anything that you can imagine. Second, I would like to say that by studying the concepts of Freemasonry, you can transcend in a true manner all of the metaphysical aspects of the earthly realm while remaining in an epistemological state or in simple terms while studying the nature of the self or of being while being in this capsule of a human being that you can understand or come to terms with that even though there might be pain and suffering in your life, the ideas of faith, hope, and charity are the most important ideals and the most important lights that you can guide yourself through life with. And as we say, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I have become sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. We are here to serve one another. Our light is a collective light. Our hearts are one fire that burn. Yet we are in this state where we can choose to be keepers of the flame or agents of chaos. And I challenge you to be a keeper of the flame. Well, thank you very much for sharing your light with everyone through this film and coming out here from California to share it with all of us in Arizona. And I wish you the best in all the, the future uh, screenings and all the future projects you're, you're involved in. And thank you for doing this interview. I appreciate it a lot. Thank Jenny. you. Thank you for having me.